Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the sixth episode of Linklater's Asia Bite Size Antitrust Podcast Series 2022. I am Marcus Pollard, and here with me today are my colleagues Feijo and Arthur Peng from our Beijing Antitrust and Foreign Investment Team. It's been a very significant year for antitrust law in China. Fei and Arthur, where should we start? Thanks for the introduction, Marcus. Indeed, this year is very exciting for the antitrust community in China. On June 24, 2022, we witnessed the revision of the 14-year-old anti-monopoly law. Actually, we discussed the second round of consultation draft in last year's podcast. In broad terms, the revision sees three key changes to the law. First, in respect of emerger control, the amendments brought in a classification system for cases and introduced a stop the clock mechanism. Second, in relation to anti-competitive agreements, the law now captures facilitators in hub-and-spoke agreements. Further, resale price maintenance is now subject to a rebuttable presumption of being anti-competitive, ending the long-established divergence between administrative and private enforcement approach. A safe harbor for vertical agreements has also finally been included in the law. Lastly, penalties for breach, such as maximum fines, have also increased across the board. Personal liabilities for substantive violations of the law have also been introduced for the first time. In addition to the amendments, the Chinese authorities has also issued six consultation drafts of the implementation regulations for comments. These drafts propose further significant changes to the law, such as the increase of the merger control turnover thresholds and the criteria to benefit from the safe harbor. I can see that the impact of uh, those changes for businesses could actually be very, very profound. Uh, maybe we can start with the introduction of the stop-the-clock mechanism, which is something we know is present in the European Union merger review regime. Um, Arthur, in, in what circumstances can the clock be stopped in a Chinese merger review? Thank you, Marcus. In China, under the stop-the-clock mechanism, the merger review process can be suspended in any one of the three situations. The first one is if the parties fail to submit the required information in a timely manner, without which some cannot proceed with the case review. And second is if new fact coming to light that has a material impact on the review to the effect that summer has to verify these facts before proceeding. The third one is remedy negotiations during which if the parties request a suspension of review, summer can um, stop the clock. So those are the three scenarios. And how do you see them, that mechanism um, having an impact on the deal timetable? Um, we understand there is an existing pull and refile practice, but with the introduction of this new stop-the-clock mechanism, do you think it will take longer for deals to get clearance? Uh, that's a very good question, Marcus, and exactly the same first question that we had in mind. So the firstly, the impact on simplified procedure cases should actually be limited. So we understood from the authority that in principle, the stop-the-clock mechanism would not apply to simplified procedure cases. Uh, which also makes sense given simplified procedures is are presumed to be quite straightforward. And as to more complicated cases, the one refill mechanism has historically been used as a way to uh, allow the authority to have more time to review the filing when the review process uh, requires longer than the statutory 180 days. Now we understand with the introduction of the new stop the clock mechanism, the use of the point refill mechanism is like to be reduce or hopefully minimize in the future. 
Uh, with that being said, the parties should still be prepared that the authority may have higher expectations on the quality and speediness of the party submission in light of all these changes. And are these changes also relevant to the new classification system for cases? It is indeed relevant as the classification system has two goals, uh, a faster merger review process for simpler cases and a more thorough review for complicated cases. In addition, the amendments have stressed that merger review in key areas involving national interests and people's livelihoods, such as technologies, healthcare sectors, uh, will likely be subject to more scrutiny. Indeed, in 2021, Summer reviewed over 700 merger filings. The introduction of a merger review classification system should help funnel and allocate Summer's resources into more complicated deals. The since amendments were made, Summer has already started delegating merger review cases in simplified procedures to five provinces, Beijing, Shanghai, Guangdong, Chongqing, and Shanxi. And we can see those provincial authorities have started reviewing and clearing those cases. On average, the review process of simplified procedure cases in the last quarter took a little bit longer than before, but I would say that's still just the interim or transitional stage. There are likely many factors to this, actually. For example, there are new case team members at the central level and local level, and time needed to draft the new rules and to set up the system and all that. I would say we are now just in the adjustment stage, and we expect that the timeline for the review process will certainly reduce and be shorter once we get through this stage. Um, Faye, you mentioned earlier about the implementing regulations. Um, would you like to share a bit more with us on that? Yeah, thanks, Marcus. One important change proposed by the draft regulations is the new notification thresholds. The draft regulation proposed to significantly increase the existing turnover thresholds, doubling the requirement of a Chinese domestic turnover to be 800 million RMB. That could reduce number of filings to a large extent. More interestingly, the draft regulation added a second set of thresholds. The second set of thresholds requires that the buyer has significant turnover in China, that is above 100 billion RMB, and the target is below the turnover threshold, but has a market value as measured by market capitalization or valuation of more than 800 million RMB and more than one third of its revenue generated from China. The new thresholds are expected to reduce the number of notifiable transactions due to the highest turnover bar, while also capturing killer acquisitions through the new secondary thresholds. The second set of threshold is particularly relevant because the deal could be notifiable simply on the basis that a mega tech company or automotive company, for example, is a controlling shareholder and none of the other parties in the deal have sufficient turnover. So that is a logic slightly different to what we already have. And in the meantime, there are still interesting questions to be answered for the secondary threshold. For example, if the target has no turnover at all, how should you calculate or allocate its turnover to China and how should market capitalization and valuation be calculated? But with that being said, we understand from the authority that this is a direction to go and it is more a question of how rather than yes or no. Yeah, the second thresholds echoed the international trend of a growing skepticism towards potential competition harms brought by the acquisition of startup companies. These companies have lower turnovers, but have the prospect of becoming a disruptive force in the market. The law now 
also codifies a coin power of summer, allowing authority to proactively look into transactions falling below the thresholds, but that are suspected to raise competition concerns. So that's a lot of developments in the merger space. What about the conduct rules? Maybe we start with some of the changes to the law of resale price maintenance. Yes, indeed, Marcus. So in short, the amendment provides now a unified approach to resale price maintenance or RPM enforcement in both the administrative and private litigation. So RPM uh, is now explicitly prohibited unless the investigative party can prove uh, there is no anti-competitive effect. So this rebuttable presumption of illegality seeks to end the long-time divergence between the administrative enforcement approach and private litigation or the court's approach on which uh, on whether the party challenging the RPM conduct bears the burden of proof that the RPM at issue has any petty effects. And by rebuttable presumption of illegality, does that mean it's it's now an effects analysis? Or how should companies handle this issue in their in their day-to-day business? Ah, that's again a good question. Um, on balance, at this stage, we don't think the RPM is subject to an immediately more lenient treatment by the authorities. Companies are still recommended to continue treating RPM as a strict prohibition as a general policy. In certain limited circumstances, companies can seek to explore rebutting the presumption. For example, while there is a compelling efficiency argument to engage in RPM and there is ample favorable evidence for proving lack of anti-competitive effects. I think this is the benefit introduced by the amended law. This is also reflected in the new vertical agreement safe harbor. Yeah, so the safe harbor has been long called for and now it's finally included into the law. The law asks the authority to specify the uh, criteria for safe harbor and the current proposal for the safe harbor is firstly, the market share should be below 15% in all relevant markets. And secondly, the undertakings should be able to demonstrate a lack of any competitive effects. Um, on the face of it, the safe harbor would actually apply to both RPM and non-price related vertical agreements. Uh, but as you could see, the market share threshold is actually quite low. And if you compare that with the standards in existing Chinese guidelines, such as the auto guideline or the European standards, that's um, lower than, than the other approaches. And in addition, the requirement to prove the non-existence of anti-competitive effects can also be quite um, circular with the safe harbor. We understand the reasons behind those is actually um, because the retained skepticism towards RPM um, will actually need to see to what extent the safe harbor proposal will be adjusted and clarified in the final version. Mm, that, that does make sense. And and can you tell us a bit more about the, the changes made to the penalty or the fine provisions and an interesting development on personal liability? Oh, this is actually uh, perhaps the most concerning part or scary part. So the firstly, for turnover-based fines, the, the language in the law uh, did not change. And we expect, the, we understand the authority will continue to calculate the antitrust fines based on the party's uh, all turnover or turnover for all products rather than just the turnover of the affected products. And secondly, the maximum fines have all increased uh, when a party fails to notify in merger filing, for example, the fine is now capped at a maximum of RMB 5 million. And in fact, if, if the transaction gives rise to competition concerns, uh, there is new limit of fines, which could be up to 10% of the infringing party's revenue. And in extreme cases, summer could also increase the fine amount to two to five times of the amount calculated normally. 
Yeah, and adding to that, personal liability was previously in the law insofar it is covered uh, procedural violations like obstructions to investigation. However, legal representatives and responsible persons will now also face uh, individual fines for anti competitive agreements. With all of these changes, it is now more important than ever to enhance antitrust compliance. Absolutely agree with that. And compliance in China really must be a boardroom topic. And for those of our listeners who are interested to know more details of these amendments, we have published a deeper dive, which is available on our podcast landing page. And of course, we're also happy to discuss any of these topics further. So please feel free to contact Faye, Arthur or myself. And with that, I think that's a good place for us to wrap up today and leave time for our audience to digest all of these very significant changes. In our next episode, we'll be covering the key competition law updates in Korea. Thank you for listening and goodbye.